Welcome to the Daily Dive Weekend Edition. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and every week I explore the top stories making waves in the news and some that are just plain interesting. I'll connect you with the journalists and the people who know the story and bring you news without the noise so you can make an informed decision. You can catch a new episode of the Daily Dive every Monday through Friday, and it's ready when you wake up. On the Weekend Edition, I'll be bringing you some of the best stories from the week. Right now, we've been hearing a lot about the Great Resignation. These are people that are leaving their jobs for a variety of reasons, whether they want more pay or better working conditions, and we're seeing the effects on the job market. In some cases, people have quit their jobs and found better ones, and many are finding success with gig jobs. Employers desperately searching for new workers aren't worried about gaps in your resume, as many people are looking for the first post-pandemic jobs outside of what they did before 2020. And some of the lessons that people have made the move are learning are to not stay where you're not heard. And company loyalty goes both ways. You need the company to have your back at various stages of the job. So for more on people who have left their jobs and found something better, we'll speak to Carla Miller, work advice columnist at The Washington Post. A lot of the rules that we were taught growing up about uh, how, to, how to succeed in business and how to get ahead and how to build a career Right now, they're, they're kind of on hold. I wouldn't say they've been obliterated forever, but um, with the pandemic, um, we're seeing more job hopping, more people taking gig jobs. We've seen some gaps in people's resumes because they had to take time off to take care of their family or they were out sick or they got furloughed for a while. These are all, these are all things that are happening to workers. And it's, it, whereas before it would have been something you'd be nervous about having on your resume, uh, in 2020, 2021, it's not that uncommon, and it's not likely something that you're going to get dinged for when you're looking for a new position. Employers are going to look at that period on your resume and say, oh, that was the pandemic, right, okay. The words that stuck out to me were transition resume, that, you know, really a lot of the things that were happening during the pandemic, you know, they're either going to overlook or have that understanding that it was a tough time. Yes, exactly. That came from Lauren Milligan, who, who runs a company called ResumeDay.com, and she's seeing a lot of the, the front lines of what people are putting on their resumes and the, the con concerns that they have about talking about their work history. And many of them are transitioning either they are transitioning from a job that doesn't exist anymore to something new, or they had time off during the pandemic and started really thinking about what they want out of life and a different direction that they might like to go in. And so some folks are training for new skills or they're starting that business that they've always wanted to do but never had time for. And so those are, those are some of the reasons also that they're making these transitions. Yeah, and the training is an important thing. A lot of people feel, you know, I need to get this credits or these certifications of, to be able to move into the other job. But you know, you got to do your research, too, and make sure that the time and the money you're going to put into those things are actually worth it. You know, will that job actually need those things? You know, there's a lot that goes into it. Tell me, because you talk to a lot of people, tell me a, a couple of success stories, I guess, where people did leave their current jobs and found something better. Because in a lot of cases, people were leaving their jobs for mental and physical health reasons. You know, being overworked it was something we heard so much about. Some folks are... They were driven out of their old jobs or they left them voluntarily because they couldn't handle the stress. And they've taken on lower stress jobs at, for example, retail outlets, um, which can always use uh, more workers at this time. Or they are doing more freelance work or picking up gigs, doing stuff that wasn't necessarily related to their previous job, but they're much happier about it. One of the workers I wrote about this week 
was a forklift operator working under just brutal conditions over the summer in a warehouse, insanely long weeks, high temperatures, and a very unsympathetic management. He quit. He's working gig jobs now, and he said he realizes it's not sustainable forever, but he and his girlfriend are both doing gig work, and they're much happier, and their relationship is better, and they're just more at ease and more relaxed with themselves. And eventually, they'll probably pick up and try to find something more steady and full-time, but they're, they are happier now. I heard from a lot of retirees, people who weren't planning to retire for another five or ten years, but with the pandemic and the pressures of the job, or if they got laid off, they, they crunched some numbers and they realized, you know, I, I can't afford to retire now if I want to. I, I will have enough in retirement, or I'm not going to make that much more if I, if I stick with it till 70. So they went ahead and retired. And I heard from one gentleman who has been traveling across the country, uh, attending baseball games, doing a road tour and and seeing professional baseball games that he didn't get to see. He's visiting family and attending family events that he wouldn't have been able to before when he was working. Um, A lot of retirees are are finding themselves surprisingly happy. Um, Even though they're retiring sooner than they intended, they're able to get by. One of the things you wrote about was company loyalty and how it does go both ways. And a lot of people, you know, were sticking with the jobs they might not have been happy with or just grueling uh, hours or whatever it might be because they were loyal to the company that might have been good to them before. And a lot of times they might have left because they weren't feeling that anymore. And, and you know, on the other side of it, it did benefit them. Yeah, that that, that is something that's absolutely happening, that um, loyalty as a concept, it, it's a nice concept, and you want to say, oh, the company's good to me, I'll be good to the company, they take care of my needs, and I do a good job for them. More and more people are seeing it more in a transactional sense. I do this work for you, you pay me for this work. And they're, they're sort of letting go of those feelings of, oh, we're a family, or I really need to give them my all, or they need extra from me. I mean, there are people who are going to do excellent work no matter what. That's just, that's just how they're wired. But I think more and more people are realizing it, it really is a transactional situation. It is you, you were hired to do a job, you do the job, you get paid for it, and you, know, you get compensated accordingly. And if it's demanding more from you than you are receiving, or if it's taking a toll on you physically and mentally that isn't worth the money you're getting, people are opting out. Yeah, so in many cases, we've seen a lot of people quit their jobs for all these variety of reasons, and and they did find success on the other side of it. I'm looking forward to your next column where you're going to be talking about workers who didn't have as much luck securing a, a better job. Uh, so I know that's going to be coming up next. Yes, I'll be focusing on that uh, in, in next week's column. There are quite a few people who did not leave their jobs voluntarily. They would have stayed if they could, and they're not having an easy time finding something similar to what they had before. So there are all kinds of situations. There are employees who are not getting responses from employers and employers looking to hire people but not finding suitable candidates. Yeah. So there's, there's sort of a mismatch there, and I'm, I'm going to be delving into that a little more. Carla Miller, work advice columnist at The Washington Post. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Finally, for this week, we've seen that the pandemic was a big inflection point for workers of all industries, but teachers were put in an especially difficult spot dealing with remote learning, back-to-school craziness, and concerns for their own health. Many teachers quit 
and others are still thinking about it. A lot of them felt guilt, anger, and heartbreak over their choices. According to a recent survey, one in four American teachers reported considering leaving their job. And a lot of it has to do with the stressors put on them. Teachers wear so many hats already, the pandemic just added more to them. For more on all of this, we'll speak to Leslie Gray Streeter. She's an author and contributor to the Washington Post magazine. And she had conversations with seven teachers who left the profession and tells us why. Like so many people in other um, professions who participated in the Great Resignation, um, there were already issues beforehand. Like maybe there wasn't enough payment or there wasn't enough flexibility even before COVID. And COVID exacerbated a lot of those conditions. And people were like, is it worth it for me to return even if it, you know, when it made things, things were made even worse. And I think that for so many of the teachers that I spoke to, that was the case, whether it was feeling like, you know, we've always talked about teachers being underpaid um, or being expected to spend their own money on supplies or to act as, you know, a combination social workers and parents and suppliers of decor, all of it, you know, and I think that so much of that, was made worse when you also, there's no separation for so many of these teachers who were teaching um, remotely because they might have their own kids and their own families and their own things to do. And there was no separation. Uh, the woman I spoke to at the beginning of the story, Lene Higgins, spoke about that, about she's trying to parent her toddler, literally find time to go to the bathroom, and she's monitoring a bunch of middle schoolers. Right. And added to everything else she's trying to do, it just was not, it was she was suicidal. She said she was absolutely depressed. And for other teachers, for instance, um, a teacher named Peggy who talked about how she already had stresses trying to figure out how to meet the emotional needs of these kids beforehand. And she said she didn't return in part because she knew that she would be so distracted by trying to then um, address the trauma that was piled on from COVID it, which was tacked on to the previous trauma they already had. And she goes, I, I wouldn't be able to concentrate on academics because I'd be war- trying to figure out what was, how can I help this kid who's spiraling like the rest of us were. So it just was things that piled on. Yeah. The first teacher that you mentioned, uh, you know, you, you mentioned she had a toddler, she had to take a bathroom break. You know, she found it so stressful that she had to say, okay, three minute break for everybody just so she could run and, and yeah. do and do something real quick. And, you know, obviously you're in a zoom session, the kids are at home, now they're just kind of sitting there and, and, you know, you know, it all bears down. Uh, I think someone you spoke to um, said it best, right. And, and you mentioned all those things that teachers do that we know that they do, right. Social worker, mm-hmm. surrogate parents, all that. Uh, teachers were already wearing so many hats. The pandemic just added more hats to that equation and it became really, really tough. Um, so tell me a, a little bit about so, the conversations that you had with some of the teachers, because one of the things that popped up a lot was guilt they felt guilty yeah. that they were leaving the profession, that they, you know, something that, you know, they, they worked a lot to get to, something that they always had wanted to be uh, for a variety of reasons. But they felt guilt and heartbreak having to leave it, like they were leaving their career and leaving their responsibilities to the children. Well, absolutely. I mean, I think that if you know any teachers, and I think you know most of us, we had teachers and we probably know some now in our adult lives, um, they go into education not for the money, not for the status or the clout. They go into it because it's a calling to them. It is something that they feel they are providing as a service to their communities and to the future leaders and to humanity. And they go into this and some of it, you know, starts when they're young and they might not know as much, but the ones, particularly the career teachers who've stuck around for a while, 
They did this because they love it. And there is a real feeling of guilt. It's not like leaving other jobs where you go, this was just a job to me. Um, They take these things very seriously. Every single teacher I spoke to, no matter what part they were in, what stage they were in their career, said to me, I went into this because I loved it. I went into this because I felt I was supposed to do this. And so thinking of yourself as a teacher, like, you know, myself as a journalist, I've always thought of myself as a journalist, capital J, like it was my calling, like I had to do this. And then you learn maybe that's not it. Or maybe you don't have to stick with that enough to where you are stressed or suicidal or just not thinking that you can get the job done. Obviously, COVID loomed large and a lot of these decisions and, you know, impacted it in many different ways. Some of the teachers even felt anger, you know, at this current situation, um, whether it be mask policies, whether it be crazy school board meetings that we know we saw. Um, you know, a lot of them felt like they were bargaining chips, uh, you know, when parents were saying, hey, we got to send the kids back to school. But, you know, uh, you know the teachers had uh, fear for their own health as well. And you profiled a couple of teachers. I think there was two that had some type of severe asthma. And, you know, for them going, uh, possibly getting a respiratory disease, that's pretty scary. And there's one who was pregnant right, who exactly. had um, suffered a miscarriage earlier and was identified by her doctors in writing that she was recommended to teach remotely and she was denied. And I think that, like anything else, all of us felt, I think most of us, I know I did, felt some trepidation about at what point do I do, how do I do my job in a way that protects me and my family and that kind of thing. And when that one teacher who had already felt that she was not protected as a Floridian teacher after what happened at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas, even though she was like hours away from there, she felt that vulnerability and it's under PTSD. So then she's like, are you going to take care of us with gun laws, with mask laws, with being able to stay remote? What are you going to do? And she didn't feel they were doing, she didn't feel they were doing enough. So she left. And once again, she felt angry. The other teacher um, I interviewed in Florida, which is where I lived at the beginning of the pandemic and had a school, a child in Palm Beach County schools, which we left and still, you know, has grappled with mass mandates and that kind of thing. The teacher said, you know, that she was watching these parents on these Facebook pages. She was lurking and going, I'm going to send my kid to school anyway, even if they get COVID. I mean, how <laughs> how could you feel you yeah. know, about that? Yeah. And particularly in Florida, you know, the Florida Education Association said that there was a 9,000 uh, shortage of classroom and staff shortages there. So uh, and that, I guess that was from the month of August, but there was 9,000 people uh, more that they could have uh, needed to to help with all of that stuff. So uh, definitely a tough situation there. And, and then one of the other things that came up too with the, the teachers that you spoke to, personal life outside of the classroom, which is so important. And when you're working so many hours throughout the Zoom, you know, can't even take a break for the restroom. You know, then you have to grade, then you have to work on all this stuff. Um, you know, even that personal life aspect of it, you know, when you're living and working all from home, you know, for a lot of people, that was a big shift. And and that was also hard to adjust to. Absolutely. There was a young man that I spoke to. He was the only male teacher that I spoke to. And I got to tell you, a lot of people probably wanted to contribute to the story, but you know, you don't necessarily, if you're still working there, or if you want to maybe go back, you're not necessarily going to want to go on record. So I understood that this was a brave thing. A lot of the teachers did, but right. uh, these, Stephen Lane, these, said, are, you know, these are all teachers that have, have left the profession have left. since. Yeah. Have left. Exactly. Um, although he said, maybe I'll go back one day, but you know, he was a young man. He is a young man who's in his 30s who said he didn't realize how much he wasn't home until he was home teaching and went, wait a minute, I'm never here. (laughs) 
it's because my, he built his life around teaching. It's like the uh, lines on landslide. I changed yeah. because I built, built my life around you, you know? And it was like, I built my life around teaching, and now I have to change that. So what are, and, what, are, what are these teachers doing now after they've left the profession? I know some feel they're in a better place and a new job. Some others have said they haven't necessarily settled yet. They don't know what they're doing. But most of them, I think all of them, feel happier with the situation, at least. They they feel happier. If not, I mean, the, the ones, a couple, like the woman from uh, Palm Beach County who said, listen, I wasn't going to retire for another couple of years. And I'm, I'm kind of angry. I felt like I was forced to do that, forced to do this. But there is a sense of relief, certainly, with a lot of them. Uh, Lene Higgins, the first teacher I spoke to in the beginning of the story, is writing a lot and she's running a business. She has a game that she started, a board game with her husband. So she's doing that. Um, a couple people like Stephen Lane that I mentioned is now writing curriculum for a private company. So he's still using his education um, background. There's a woman from California who's now in Columbia at a project that is teaching teachers and training teachers how to teach from a culturally sensitive social justice perspective um, with its mind on disparities. And that's why she left, because she felt that she always felt that there were these inequities and disparities in teaching and that it was, you know, three days after her kids went back to school, they had a subsidized test. And it's like, welcome back to this place you haven't been for a year and a half. Here's a test that's going to determine what, how you do for the next year. It's right. like, that's, it's enough. It's enough. So um, I will also say, like I said, so many of these teachers, every single one of these teachers cares. Like they said, they care so deeply. And they really want people to understand that this was not a decision that was made lightly. You know, this is not a decision that they went, oh, live and learn what's the next big adventure? It was something that was some of them held on to the last week before, right. you know, the schools start school district started until they had, they would have until a certain time to make a decision. They went it to the very last day because they just wanted to make sure that they were making the right decision. And they ultimately all said they knew they made the right decision. You know, and, and to your point, you know, for the majority of teachers, right, you get into it because you do deeply care. We, as you mentioned, we all know a teacher or had ha have had a teacher that made an impact on us. And it was because they made those extra steps to help you learn, help take care of you, all of that. And, and, and it was so tough throughout the pandemic, like it was for many people in many industries, but we rely so much on teachers. Uh, as you mentioned, you know, it, it just it takes the toll on the person. And, you know, it's pretty unfortunate. So obviously we hope there's a lot of discussions on improving things in the classroom. Hopefully we get there. But uh, for now, um, you know, these are just kind of, uh, it seems very uh, emblematic of what a lot of teachers were going through throughout that whole thing. Leslie, I appreciate it. I just, I just want to add very quickly. So many teachers have written me to say, thank you for doing this. Even teachers who weren't involved in the story because they're like, no one was telling our story right. and nobody was explaining how we felt. So thank you so much for doing that. Leslie Gray Streeter, journalist, author and contributor to the Washington Post magazine. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you so much. Bye bye. That's it for this weekend. Be sure to check out The Daily Dive every Monday through Friday. Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on Twitter and Daily Dive Podcast on Facebook. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow The Daily Dive on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcast. This episode of The Daily Dive has been engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this 
was your daily dive weekend edition.